Thank you, Luke and Jensen and Trey and Truett for leading us in worship. I commend to you the words of this song that 412 has just sung, as well as the words printed in your bulletin uh, from the middle hymn, Eternal Weight of Glory, uh, as two songs, the text of which encompass what we've been focusing on since Easter Sunday throughout the Easter season. Let's uh, look as a summary of what we've been talking about at the text of the song that 412 has just sung. Uh, as I understand the singer, that first uh, stanza, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your size. My eyes will see when your face is looking at me. It is a heavenly vision. It is that, uh, that sense of being with Jesus the moment that we die and being in his presence surrounded by his glory. Uh, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. And so uh, yesterday we celebrated the good news that Mary Margaret Swavely is in God's presence in heaven, experiencing perhaps what the singer is talking about here. Remember, the singer is saying, I can only imagine. It's, it's beyond what we can comprehend, beyond what we imagine. But we can imagine what that heavenly glory will be like when we experience it. But then notice in the middle of the song, uh, a, a, a stanza that Amy Grant added uh, to the Mercy Me original lyrics when she recorded the song. She says, I can only imagine all creation bowed down, the whole universe saying your name out loud. It's an imaginative take on Romans 8.23, which we've referred uh, to several times throughout the, this sermon series. And Romans 8.23 speaks of creation's longing to be redeemed, transformed, when Christ returns. Uh, when we are revealed as Christ's resurrected children, creation will be revealed as well. And so uh, this text imagines that moment, creation bowed down, worshiping God. And then the next line, I can only imagine all our broken lives resurrected in the healing, healing light. At multiple places along the way in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has spoken not only of the resurrection of Jesus, but he's spoken of our resurrection, the resurrection of all of those who call on the name of Christ in the timing of scripture at the moment of death. We go to be with the Lord in a disembodied form in spirit in heaven. 
But on that day when Christ returns, what the song sings about, our broken lives are resurrected, resurrection bodies, souls re-embodied in, as this passage today will speak of, with imperishable bodies to love and serve the Lord. So I'm grateful to 412 and grateful to um, the, the music, both from the second hymn that John has found for us and then this uh, uh, song by Mercy Me and, and Amy Grant that, that summarizes for us much of what we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. So I commend to you both texts in your worship guide uh, for reflection. Now, let's conclude our series from 1 Corinthians 15 by looking at the final passage, verses 50 through 58. It's almost as if uh, Paul is a lawyer making his final argument, and everybody in the courtroom knows that all of the evidence necessary has already been presented. The truth has already been established. And so he makes some final summary arguments, and then he ends with celebration. And we will get to verses 57 and 58 in a moment in the sermon where Paul says, this is what we do in response to this future that the Spirit has inspired him to describe. So hear the word of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this moral body, mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let us pray together. Oh, Lord, we can only imagine what it will be like when we walk by your side. We can only imagine all creation bowed down, saying your name out loud. We can only imagine all our broken lives resurrected in the healing light. We thank you for Paul's words inspired by your spirit in 1 Corinthians 15 that gives us, uh, gives us some points, some, some images that funds our imagination. We pray, oh God that as we study your word, that you will speak to our hearts so that we may understand what you are saying to us today and so that we may be inspired to live the lives and the life together as a congregation that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verse 50 summarizes much of what Paul has been saying. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. When Jesus returns and fully establishes the kingdom of God and God's will is fully and finally done on earth as it is in heaven, when God is all in all, as Paul has said in verse 28, creation itself will be imperishable. It will be set free from its bondage to decay. And in order for us to live and worship and walk with Jesus and tend with Jesus, God's new imperishable creation, then we too must be imperishable. 
perishable cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says here. But when we are raised by the power of Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, our mortal bodies will take on immortality, perishability will become imperishable, we will be fitted properly for our new context, the new heaven and the new earth, God's redeemed creation, God being all in all. And then in verses 51 and 52, Paul anticipates and answers a vital question. He's spoken so far of those who have died in Christ being raised bodily when Christ returns from the dead. But what happens to those who are alive in that moment? Must they die too in order to be transformed? Paul says no. Those who are alive and remain when Christ returns will be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye at the sound of the last trumpet. Resurrection power they receive, though they have not died, they will become imperishable just like those who have gone before them in death. Christ will instantly transform those who are alive to be like him in every way, body, heart, mind, and soul. It's not something that we can diagram. It's not something that we can fully explain. Paul says it's a mystery. It's a mystery that leads us to worship. And worship is what Paul begins to do as he further, as he moves further past verse 52. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. Focus on that word put on. It's a reminder that uh, God doesn't destroy us and start over again. You can't put on something that's not already there. He puts on us as we are perishable, this imperishability, and we are transformed, but it's still us. Like Jesus, the risen Lord, changed, yet eventually recognizable by his disciples in the resurrection accounts in the gospels, we too will be transformed, imperishable, immortal, immortal, but still us in some way. Again, it's this wonderful mystery that Paul is describing. And then in verse 54, he, he moves directly into worship. When this perishable body puts on imperishable, imperishability, he says, death has been swallowed up in victory, 55. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? We experience the sting of death now, but one day its stinger will be removed. One day its stinger will be no more. Uh, Paul has said earlier in the chapter, in verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will be defeated. It will be destroyed. Revelation 21 says, death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more on that day. And as a part of that day, there will be worship. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's a rhetorical question because death's victory is no more. Vanquished, its, its sting is gone no longer to be felt by any who are part of God's redeemed creation. It is a powerful ending, closing argument that Paul makes as he delivers the final evidence that he's been saying to the Corinthians. Not only is Jesus Christ truly raised from the dead, but we too will be raised with him one day in God's redeemed creation to love and serve and worship him together and to tend God's new creation. And those who are alive when that moment happens will be transformed and we will all be together with the Lord. The question then becomes, 
What does this mean for us now? Well, certainly it does give us a sense of hope for what is to come, especially when we face death, as we all in our mortality will do, especially as we grieve for those that we love who have died. But there's more to it than that. In verses 57 and 58, Paul gives us some very specific things to do as we await that day in response to that day. Verse 57, hear it again. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we await that day that Paul describes and that we can only imagine, we are called to worship and give thanks to God and praise God for all that has been accomplished in the past, all that is being accomplished now, and all that will be accomplished in the future through Jesus Christ. In worship, we tell the true story of all that God has done, is doing, and will do through Christ. In worship, we let go as best we can of all of the other stories that shape our lives, and we say this is the most real world that we're experiencing right now. We can only imagine it, and so we sing of it, but it is the most real world. And when we come into this place to tell the stories of Jesus, the true stories we believe of Jesus over and over and over again, we are shaped to leave this place, to live according to the gospel story, and to be the people that God has made us to be, and to draw others into that story. Verse 57 is not just a word of thanksgiving, it is also a word of announcement. Thanks be to God, yes, through Jesus Christ our Lord, the victory, it's an announcement that Jesus Christ has gained victory over sin, death, and the devil. And we announce that in worship as not only a time of thanksgiving, but a witness to ourselves and all in this place who do not know Jesus yet. And then we live our lives in the world and we speak our words announcing what God has done in Jesus Christ and inviting people to walk with him with us. Now, you may have noticed that I'm fond of telling stories from movies, perhaps. And I think as a Star Wars fan, I could make a Star Wars reference in just about every sermon that I preach, which I should be embarrassed about. It means I know the lines way too, way too well. But then there's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's all the superhero movies. And then there's the Harry Potter movies. And then there's the Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> An endless succession of superheroes and super stories that Hollywood gives us. And why do we consistently buy these outrageously high-priced tickets to see them? And why do we tell stories and sermons about them? And why do we talk about them in youth group and at dinner and all of these kinds of things if we go to these kinds of movies? Why do we do that? Because we love stories. And we love big stories. And we love huge narratives where... There are characters that are a little bit like us in some way that we can connect with who face extraordinary odds, often extraordinary evil, and through extraordinary effort, they overcome. And at the end of the movie, all is made well. And you don't have to have a superhero movie for that to happen. Just any normal movie that tells a story begins with characters that we get to know 
Those characters face conflict, and the rest of the movie shows how the characters work through that conflict, and somehow the conflict uh, is resolved. We love stories because we are a storied people, and it is good, and it is fun to find those movies and those stories that we enjoy, and often we do find our lives enhanced by them, not always, but sometimes Well, maybe I'm stretching it just a little bit. Maybe it's just that they're fun. And that's okay. But those stories are usually not true. And certainly not true in the sense of what the gospel story is like in its truth. I don't for a moment want to suggest that we come to worship each week like we're going to the movies. And certainly we don't come to be entertained. But we come to this place every week to tell and to hear the biggest story of all, the story that is the truest story of all, the story that we believe with all of our hearts by faith, that God has and is and will redeem the world and is redeeming us through Jesus Christ. And we come to hear the story and to thank God for the story and to allow our lives to be immersed in the story so that we are shaped by this true story to be the agents of God's story in the world. And so in verse 57, Paul says, in light of all that I've said in this first 56 verses about resurrection in this this chapter, in light of it all, praise be to God, thanks be to God, through the victory we've been given through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a call to worship. It's a call to witness. It's a call to allow our lives to be shaped, immersed, transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We worship and we witness. And then verse 58, we work and we work hard. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul could have concluded all of this talk about resurrection by saying everything is going to work out in the end, so just make it through this life as best you can. Everything is going to work out, so be a good person, worship, witness, but, but, but know that you know, you've got some comfort now. You can just kind of make it through the end. He doesn't say that. The call, the picture, the imaginative picture of what is to be is to inspire us to work with all that we have in the power of the Holy Spirit for God's kingdom now. Let's start with the last phrase, the phrase that Paul ends this beautiful chapter with. Know that, you're, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Now, we can take that phrase, and and certainly on the surface, it, it means that anything we do now in the Lord will presently, we may not understand it or see it, but anything we do now will not be in vain because God uses it now to accomplish his purposes. That's true. But if we look at verse 58, that phrase, in light of the entire passage, the entire chapter, which is about the future, Then when Paul says, in the Lord, your work will not be in vain, he's not just talking about the current impact of our work. He's saying that one day when Christ returns to make all things new, we'll then see how our work now was not in vain and our work somehow, some way through God's resurrection power will have been used by God to help build 
that kingdom that is to come. Our work is not in vain because however we do it, however imperfectly, sinfully we do it, it is part of the building blocks. It's a building block that God will use to one day fully establish the kingdom. We don't know it's not in vain until later, so we trust now the later to know that our work now is not in vain. A member of our church in Wilmington is a Korean War veteran. Um, and uh, he, he tells the extremely painful story of being stationed in country in Korea and being assigned to go to a, uh, some kind of meeting at, at headquarters. So he had to get on a plane to, to go to a, some kind of larger meeting. And at the last minute, uh, he, he had to stay where he was. And so he assigned one of the, the soldiers in his command, he assigned one of those soldiers to take his place on the plane. And the plane was shot down and everyone on board died. And so this man has lived with that truth ever since, often using the words, it should have been me. And so there is both a mixture of gratitude for his own life and a mixture of horrible sadness, knowing that this other soldier under his command died in his place. But that soldier's death was not in vain. Now, there are multiple ways that we'll never know uh, how that soldier's death was, was not in vain. But one of the ways his death was not in vain is that the man whose place he took, the soldier who lived, ever since that moment, has lived his life so that that soldier's death would not be in vain. In other words, he's tried to live his life to the best of his ability by God's grace for his family, for his community, for his church, for his Lord. He understands every moment to be a gift, every moment of life, and to the extent that he lives his life in faithfulness to Jesus Christ, the man who lives, has made sure the man who died did not die in vain. Notice the order of things here. One person's action, in this instance, sacrifice death, is not made real until someone else later on takes it and makes something of it. And the idea is this, when we, like Paul says in Romans 12, present our lives as living sacrifices, when we sacrifice ourselves for each other, for the world, for our neighbor, for Jesus Christ, when we sacrifice ourselves in this life, Paul is saying, one day we'll discover that God has taken whatever it is that we've been able to give and what we've done has not been in vain because God, someone else, has taken it and made it real and made it meaningful and made it alive. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says this, we are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. We don't see it yet. 
we're just being living sacrifices. God is the one who has to take what we do and make something of it. But we're accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every act of service and care for creation and our neighbor, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. What we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. As verse 58 says, it is not in vain. What we do now in the power of the Spirit will in the hands of God be used in the glory of this new creation that is to come. Which then brings us to the first part of verse 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. In other words, this work that you're called to do, this witness that we're called to give is not easy. It will not go unopposed. There will be obstacles in your path. There will be challenges that you face. You will be tempted to fall away. You will be tempted to look. We will be tempted to look for an easier pass. Paul says, don't do it. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. And the larger witness of the chapter tells us that we can be steadfast, not because we're super disciplined people, even though by the Spirit we can become disciplined. But that's not the the main reason, the main Uh, fuel for our living steadfast and immovable lives. No, it's when we have a picture of the future, when we know that God's purposes ultimately will be done, it's when we know that, that we can by the Spirit be steadfast and immovable. We can abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because in this life, it's hard to see evidence of that day when all will be right because we look all around us and we see so much is wrong and we look in our own hearts and we see so much wrong there. We see how far we fall short of being the people God has called us to be and doing the things that God has called us to do both as individuals and as a congregation. And when we face these obstacles and we see how messed up this world is and we see the pain and the suffering and so many who do not embrace the love of Jesus Christ, who do not listen to the example, to the announcement that God has given victory through Christ. When we see this, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to give up. But then we remember that one day God will be all in all. One day all will be new according to God's will. His will will be done. God's kingdom will come fully on earth as it is in heaven. And we, in some small way, by our acts of sacrificial service and obedience, are a part of that. When we remember this truth, this vision, then we can be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Then we don't give up on those who are struggling with whatever it is they're struggling with. Instead, we keep loving them and serving them. We don't give up on those who are not interested in the announcement of all that Jesus has done for them. We keep loving and we keep sharing. We don't give up on the intractable problems that we see in our world and in our community. 
we remain steadfast, we keep working in the power of the Spirit because we know that one day, one day, all will be as God desires it to be. And so, sisters and brothers, whatever challenge you face in your personal life, whatever challenges we face in our church, whatever challenges are at work in our community, we know that one day all will be made right. And because of this truth, we imagine it so that we can worship God more faithfully. And we work toward it by the Spirit, being steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. For every person who's struggling to be steadfast because the challenges are so great, the suffering is so so difficult, we pray that you would give them strength, make them immovable, O God. For, for Christians in other parts of the world seeking to care for those who suffer in ways beyond what we can imagine, give them a vision of your ultimate victory over suffering and sin and death and make them steadfast and immovable for every person in our community who's giving their lives to serve those caught in addiction or homelessness, to be with those who are lonely, to walk with those feeling the impact of not knowing you. Make them steadfast and immovable by your spirit that your work can be done. And for all of us, fill us with an awareness that even the tiniest thing we offer to you in your hands is used to build your kingdom. It's not wasted. And one day we'll see how our participation has become part of your kingdom. We give you thanks, O oh God, for all that you have done in Christ, for what you're doing for us now in Christ, for what you will do in Christ on that day when you are all in all invigorate and energize and inspire our worship as we tell the story and as we live it and make us steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your work. For we know that in you, our labor is not in vain. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So we started in 1 Corinthians 15 on Easter Sunday and we sang the greatest of Easter hymns, Christ the Lord is risen today. Well, this year we get to sing this glorious hymn twice. We end the Easter season or we bring it to a conclusion in terms of our sermon series by singing Christ the Lord is risen today. And there's that wonderful quotation of Paul's ending passage there as we sing. As we sing, I'll stand at the front to receive those who would profess faith in Jesus publicly for the first time and come as candidates for baptism and to receive those who, as followers of Christ already, would unite with our congregation. Also invite you to come forward and pray if God has laid that on your hearts. But all of us, as we sing, let us ask the Spirit to make us steadfast and immovable in the work of the Lord. Let's stand together.
forth in the name of the Spirit by whose power we will one day be raised. Go forth in the name of the Spirit who enables us to worship faithfully and to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in God's work. Amen.
Almighty, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have gathered to worship our Lord on this day, giving thanks to all that God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all that God continues to work in and through us by the Holy Spirit, and all that God will do for us on that day when Christ returns to fully establish the kingdom of God. Welcome to worship. Uh, one announcement as we continue, uh, Mother's Day photographs. If you had a family picture taken in the Fellowship Hall on Mother's Day, those photographs are in. We apologize for not having them with you in the Fellowship Hall or for you before Sunday school, but they will be ready to pick up after the worship service. We're grateful for all who are here today, also mindful of those who are traveling on this Memorial Day weekend. It is hot outside. It is cool inside. We're thankful for air conditioning. And we're thankful for the tithes and offerings that make this air conditioning possible. <laughs> Would you pause with me for a moment of silence as we remember those who have given their lives in service to our country? God for our fellow citizens who have given their lives for us, we are grateful. We pray that you would help us to live lives worthy of their sacrifice, and we pray that you would comfort their families on this day, even as we also pray for that day when your peace will reign throughout the earth. It is in Christ's name that we pray, amen. If you are a veteran or a current member of the military, would you stand please? Would you remain, would you remain standing, would, would you remain standing? If the veterans would remain standing, I'll ask you up and down here, stand back up. And then I want to invite those of you who would like to, if a member of your family has died in service to our country, would you join our veterans and active military personnel in standing? God bless you all. You may be seated. join with me in calling each other to worship. We come to worship the living Lord who rose victorious over sin and death. We worship, work, and witness to the one who created for us this, who created us for this world and the next. Empower us anew to love and serve you and our neighbor with your reminder. Amen. Amen. 
presence in our midst. Walk among us and remove our blinders in such a way that we may truly see what is real. Help us to live our perishable lives so that one day we will be imperishable in your kingdom. Teach us that what is written will come true. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Speak to us, Father, for your servants are listening. Hear us now as we pray the prayer your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. small but mighty bunch here this morning. Awesome. Good to see you guys. Everybody doing all right? Okay. Some of you I've seen already. I recognize you from Sunday school class. So those of you who have, haven't been able to attend, we invite you to Sunday school, okay? Kindergarten through fifth grade if you get a chance, all right? We do some awesome stuff in there. And uh, so love to have you if you want to make it. All right. So this morning I got a story for you, okay? This happened to me this week. I had to go to a meeting in Boston, and I had to fly to get there, all right? So I'm coming back from this meeting, sitting in my seat, already been assigned a seat, so I'm in, a, I'm in an aisle seat. As you know, if you've ever flown, sometimes you have three seats across, right? You have an aisle seat, a middle, and a window, right? So I preferred the aisle. So I was on the aisle. Anyway... So there was this older lady standing next to me, and I was trying to figure out what's going on. What's, what's, why is she just standing here, but she hasn't been seated yet? Well, come to find out <coughs> that her daughter and her grandson, they'd been separated. So the, the daughter and grandson were about 10 rows up, and she was going to be sitting beside me. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Well, I don't know how that happened. Maybe they got their seats their tickets were different for whatever reason, all right? So I decided, I was sitting around, I thought, hmm, what is something that I could do to help to help this lady and her grandson and her grand and her daughter? And I said, well, let's, how about if I change seats with the daughter and the grandson, right? So I talked to the flight attendant, and she thought it was a great idea, all right? So a little bit later, we exchanged seats. Well, so now, and the grandmother was just ecstatic because she wanted the, the daughter and the grandson to sit with her anyway, okay? And I thought, well, that's a great thing for them to do. But I found out also, well, first of all, the baby was seven months old, okay? So just a little guy, right? And he'd been in the hospital, okay? So what the grandmother was trying to do was say, hey, I want 
to be able to help the my daughter and my grandson if they need help. Okay, so that was one of the one of the things that we did. But what was really nice about it was that once I got seated, it was like you know that was really a, a neat thing to do to just just a little act of kindness that I did on my part. And people thanked me for that. And that wasn't why I did it. I did it so the grandmother and the, and the daughter and the grandchild could be together and sit as a family, right? So that's what happened to me this week. Just a little random thing that I could do to help out another family, show God's love, right? Which is something that we talk about a lot. So let me ask you guys a question. Did anything, not necessarily a plane ride, but you, did you do anything this week? To show God's love for somebody else, give a short, short a story to tell. Yes, did you? Awesome! You held the door for somebody. That's great. That's very good. Anything else? Yes. You gave somebody money. Awesome! That's excellent. Very good. Anybody else? Okay. Well, no, that's fine. If you didn't, that's okay. But one of the things they talk about in scripture, this part of the scripture this morning, is to never tire of doing God's work for other people. Because it's not something that's not a waste of time. It's it's gonna be actually you're gonna feel even better about yourself for doing that. Okay? So think about things that you can do. And the challenge this week is to think about things that you can do to show God's love for other people. Can you do that? Can you try it? See how see how it works? Will that work? Yes. Be kind. Be kind. Exactly. Be kind. So let's pray about that, and then we can be dismissed, okay? Dear God, thank you for bringing us here today. Help us to always look for ways to show your love to other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. of our suffering seem so long and the toilsome wait and wandering threaten silence to our song now our pain is real and pressing where our faith is thin and weak but our hope is set on Jesus and we cling to him our strength
some of the blessings that he has bestowed to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Blessed Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of mercy and grace with our bodies bent, giving you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise for who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, we ask that within these tithes and offerings that you would use them to the furtherance of your kingdom, that it's your will to be done here in Fifth Avenue, Lord. We ask that these tithes and offerings go and flow throughout these four walls into the streets of Huntington to the people who need it the most. Lord, we ask that you continue to spur in our hearts, people to uh, impact, people to love, people to share the gospel to. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.
We have both celebrations and concerns to lift up this morning. One celebration is the youth car wash and bake sale were a huge success yesterday. Um, so some of us went home with sweet treats and clean cars, which was a wonderful thing. We appreciate everybody who worked hard to make that happen. We also have a celebration that Mary Barnett, Kay Fricky, and Becky Ross, who had been in the hospital, are all home. So we want to continue to pray for their recuperation at home. Barbara Riddle and Pat Mann remain at the hospital. And Estelle Pennington had to go to the hospital this week as well. Donna and John Mant Sr. are also both at the hospital in Florida as well. So we um, want to pray for their health and well-being. I just got word from our FabCare assistant director, Karen Harmick, that her brother Art has died. Art had been ill for quite some time, and they had just recently um, switched him to hospice care, and he has passed away. So let's remember Karen and their family. Mary Margaret Swavely had also passed away. Her services were yesterday morning. And of course, we continue to honor Memorial Day, all who've given their lives in service to our countries and especially for the families and loved ones who miss them every day. Let's gather all of these thoughts and your own concerns and celebrations together in prayer. Let us pray. Risen, victorious Lord, we join our alleluias this morning with the chorus of all who've gone before us and brothers and sisters around the world. Amidst the struggles, pains, and losses of this present time, we set our hope on you. On the one who has conquered death and sin and given us life abundant and eternal. Fill our hearts this morning with your resurrection good news so that our lives are shaped by the truth that you are redeeming all that is broken in us and in our world. Oh Lord, it is hard for our human minds and imaginations to stretch enough, to open enough, to imagine a day when all will be made whole, when the fractured reality we know now is completely made new through your love a love that simply refuses to give up on your creation. Help us to trust that you are holding all of what we see before us, that you know the hurts, the harms, the losses far better than we do, that you understand our bent to sinning in ways we cannot, and that your ways 
are higher than ours. Help us to trust you that you are indeed at work, bringing your creation toward a wholeness and a newness it has never known. In that hope, Lord, give us eyes to see you at work, we pray, to see your resurrection hope and power springing up all around us. Teach us to live with your hope shaping our choices, our actions, our service, our daily ways now. Help us to respond to the needs around us, to see each other with compassion, to act on the nudges you carefully place in our minds and hearts. Make us the blessing of presence and comfort for all who grieve this day and for those who are hurting. Help us pay attention to those who are lonely and reach out to them with your love. Empower us to pray fervently and intentionally for those who are ill among us and throughout our world, and then to be the answer to our own prayers with supportive action. O oh Lord, spirit-filled and shaped by the truth of your word, may we be your resurrection people this day and always. Amen. Tonight. 
Thank you, Luke and Jensen and Trey and Truett for leading us in worship. I commend to you the words of this song that 412 has just sung, as well as the words printed in your bulletin uh, from the middle hymn, Eternal Weight of Glory, uh, as two songs, the text of which encompass what we've been focusing on since Easter Sunday throughout the Easter season. Let's uh, look as a summary of what we've been talking about at the text of the song that 412 has just sung. Uh, as I understand the singer, that first uh, stanza, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your size. My eyes will see when your face is looking at me. It is a heavenly vision. It is that, uh, that sense of being with Jesus the moment that we die and being in his presence surrounded by his glory. Uh, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. And so uh, yesterday we celebrated the good news that Mary Margaret Swavely is in God's presence in heaven, experiencing perhaps what the singer is talking about here. Remember, the singer is saying, I can only imagine. It's, it's beyond what we can comprehend, beyond what we imagine. But we can imagine what that heavenly glory will be like when we experience it. But then notice in the middle of the song, uh, a, a, a stanza that Amy Grant added uh, to the Mercy Me original lyrics when she recorded the song. She says, I can only imagine all creation bowed down, the whole universe saying your name out loud. It's an imaginative take on Romans 8.23, which we've referred uh, to several times throughout the, this sermon series. And Romans 8.23 speaks of creation's longing to be redeemed, transformed, when Christ returns. Uh, when we are revealed as Christ's resurrected children, creation will be revealed as well. And so uh, this text imagines that moment, creation bowed down, worshiping God. And then the next line, I can only imagine all our broken lives resurrected in the healing healing light at multiple places along the way in first corinthians 15 paul has spoken not only of the resurrection of jesus but he's spoken of our resurrection the resurrection of all of those who call on the name of christ in the timing of scripture at the moment of death we go to be with the lord in a disembodied form in spirit in heaven but on that day when christ returns what the song sings about our broken lives are resurrected resurrection bodies, souls re-embodied in, as this passage today will speak of, with imperishable bodies to love and serve the Lord. So I'm grateful to 412 and grateful to um, the, the music, both from the second hymn that John has found for us and then this uh, uh, song by Mercy Me and, and Amy Grant that, that summarizes for us much of what we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. So I commend to you both texts in your worship guide 
for reflection. Now, let's conclude our series from 1 Corinthians 15 by looking at the final passage, verses 50 through 58. It's almost as if uh, Paul is a lawyer making his final argument, and everybody in the courtroom knows that all of the evidence necessary has already been presented. The truth has already been established. And so he makes some final summary arguments, and then he ends with celebration. And we will get to verses 57 and 58 in a moment in the sermon where Paul says, this is what we do in response to this future that the Spirit has inspired him to describe. So hear the word of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this moral body, mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let us pray together. Oh, Lord, we can only imagine what it will be like when we walk by your side. We can only imagine all creation bowed down, saying your name out loud. We can only imagine all our broken lives resurrected in the healing light. We thank you for Paul's words inspired by your spirit in 1 Corinthians 15 that gives us, uh, gives us some points, some, some images that funds our imagination. We pray, oh God that as we study your word, that you will speak to our hearts so that we may understand what you are saying to us today and so that we may be inspired to live the lives and the life together as a congregation that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verse 50 summarizes much of what Paul has been saying. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. When Jesus returns and fully establishes the kingdom of God and God's will is fully and finally done on earth as it is in heaven, when God is all in all, as Paul has said in verse 28, creation itself will be imperishable. It will be set free from its bondage to decay. And in order for us to live and worship and walk with Jesus and tend with Jesus, God's new imperishable creation, then we too must be imperishable. Perishable cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says here. But when we are raised by the power of Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, our mortal bodies will take on immortality. Perishability will become imperishable. We will be fitted properly for our new context the new heaven and the new earth, God's redeemed creation, God being all in all. 
And then in verses 51 and 52, Paul anticipates and answers a vital question. He's spoken so far of those who have died in Christ being raised bodily when Christ returns from the dead. But what happens to those who are alive in that moment? Must they die too in order to be transformed? Paul says no. Those who are alive and remain when Christ returns will be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye at the sound of the last trumpet. Resurrection power they receive, though they have not died, they will become imperishable just like those who have gone before them in death. Christ will instantly transform those who are alive to be like him in every way body, heart, mind, and soul. It's not something that we can diagram. It's not something that we can fully explain. Paul says it's a mystery. It's a mystery that leads us to worship. And worship is what Paul begins to do as he further, as he moves further past verse 52. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. Focus on that word put on. It's a reminder that uh, God doesn't destroy us and start over again. You can't put on something that's not already there. He puts on us as we are perishable, this imperishability, and we are transformed, but it's still us. Like Jesus, the risen Lord, changed yet eventually recognizable by his disciples in the resurrection accounts in the gospels, we too will be transformed, imperishable, immortal, immortal, but still us in some way. Again, it's this wonderful mystery that Paul is describing. And then in verse 54, uh, he, he moves directly into worship. When this perishable body puts on imperishable, imperishability, he says, death has been swallowed up in victory, 55. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? We experience the sting of death now, but one day its stinger will be removed. One day its stinger will be no more. Uh, Paul has said earlier in the chapter, in verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will be defeated. It will be destroyed. Revelation 21 says, death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more on that day. And as a part of that day, there will be worship. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's a rhetorical question because death's victory is no more. Vanquished, its, its sting is gone no longer to be felt by any who are part of God's redeemed creation. It is a powerful ending, closing argument that Paul makes as he delivers the final evidence that he's been saying to the Corinthians. Not only is Jesus Christ truly raised from the dead, but we too will be raised with him one day in God's redeemed creation to love and serve and worship him together and to tend God's new creation. And those who are alive when that moment happens will be transformed and we will all be together with the Lord. The question then becomes, what does this mean for us now? Well, certainly it does give us a sense of hope for what is to come, especially when we face death as we all in our mortality will do, especially as we grieve for those that we love who have died. But there's more to it than that. In verses 57 and 58, Paul gives us some very specific things to do 
as we await that day in response to that day. Verse 57, hear it again. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we await that day that Paul describes and that we can only imagine, we are called to worship and give thanks to God and praise God for all that has been accomplished in the past, all that is being accomplished now, and all that will be accomplished in the future through Jesus Christ. In worship, we tell the true story of all that God has done, is doing, and will do through Christ. In worship, we let go as best we can of all of the other stories that shape our lives, and we say this is the most real world that we're experiencing right now. We can only imagine it, and so we sing of it, but it is the most real world. And when we come into this place to tell the stories of Jesus, the true stories we believe of Jesus over and over and over again, we are shaped to leave this place to live according to the gospel story and to be the people that God has made us to be and to draw others into that story. Verse 57 is not just a word of thanksgiving, it is also a word of announcement. Thanks be to God, yes, through Jesus Christ our Lord, the victory, it's an announcement that Jesus Christ has gained victory over sin, death, and the devil. And we announce that in worship as not only a time of thanksgiving, but a witness to ourselves and all in this place who do not know Jesus yet. And then we live our lives in the world and we speak our words announcing what God has done in Jesus Christ and inviting people to walk with him with us. Now, you may have noticed that I'm fond of telling stories from movies, perhaps. And I think as a Star Wars fan, I could make a Star Wars reference in just about every sermon that I preach, which I should be embarrassed about. It means I know the lines way too, way too well. But then there's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's all the superhero movies. And then there's the Harry Potter movies. And then there's the Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> An endless succession of superheroes and super stories that Hollywood gives us. And why do we consistently buy these outrageously high-priced tickets to see them? And why do we tell stories and sermons about them? And why do we talk about them in youth group and at dinner and all of these kinds of things if we go to these kinds of movies? Why do we do that? Because we love stories. And we love big stories. And we love huge narratives where... There are characters that are a little bit like us in some way that we can connect with who face extraordinary odds, often extraordinary evil, and through extraordinary effort, they overcome. And at the end of the movie, all is made well. And you don't have to have a superhero movie for that to happen. Just any normal movie that tells a story begins with characters that we get to know. Those characters face conflict, and the rest of the movie shows how the characters work through that conflict, and somehow the conflict uh, is resolved. We love stories because we are a storied people, and it is good, and it is fun to find those movies and those stories that we enjoy, and often we do find our lives enhanced by them, not always, but sometimes 
well, maybe I'm stretching it just a little bit. Maybe it's just that they're fun. And that's okay. But those stories are usually not true. And certainly not true in the sense of what the gospel story is like in its truth. I don't for a moment want to suggest that we come to worship each week like we're going to the movies, and certainly we don't come to be entertained. But we come to this place every week to tell and to hear the biggest story of all, the story that is the truest story of all, the story that we believe with all of our hearts by faith, that God has and is and will redeem the world and is redeeming us through Jesus Christ. And we come to hear the story and to thank God for the story and to allow our lives to be immersed in the story so that we are shaped by this true story to be the agents of God's story in the world. And so in verse 57, Paul says, in light of all that I've said in this first 56 verses about resurrection in this, in this chapter, in light of it all, praise be to God, thanks be to God through the victory we've been given through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a call to worship. It's a call to witness. It's a call to allow our lives to be shaped, immersed, transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We worship and we witness. And then verse 58, we work and we work hard. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul could have concluded all of this talk about resurrection by saying everything is going to work out in the end, so just make it through this life as best you can. Everything is going to work out, so be a good person, worship, witness, but, but, but know that you know, you've got some comfort now. You can just kind of make it through the end. He doesn't say that. The call, the picture, the imaginative picture of what is to be is to inspire us to work with all that we have in the power of the Holy Spirit for God's kingdom now. Let's start with the last phrase, the phrase that Paul ends this beautiful chapter with. Know that, you're, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Now, we can take that phrase, and, and certainly on the surface, it, it means that anything we do now in the Lord will presently, we may not understand it or see it, but anything we do now will not be in vain because God uses it now to accomplish his purposes. That's true. But if we look at verse 58, that phrase, in light of the entire passage, the entire chapter, which is about the future, then when Paul says, in the Lord, your work will not be in vain, he's not just talking about the current impact of our work. He's saying that one day when Christ returns to make all things new, we'll then see how our work now was not in vain and our work somehow, some way through God's resurrection power will have been used by God to help build that kingdom that is to come. Our work is not in vain because However we do it, however imperfectly, sinfully we do it, it is part of the building blocks. It's a building block that God will use to one day fully establish the kingdom. We don't know it's not in vain until later, so we trust now the later 
to know that our work now is not in vain. A member of our church in Wilmington is a Korean War veteran. Um, and uh, he, he tells the extremely painful story of being stationed in country in Korea and being assigned to go to a, uh, some kind of meeting at, at headquarters. So he had to get on a plane to, to go to a, some kind of larger meeting. And at the last minute, uh, he, he had to stay where he was. And so he assigned one of the, the soldiers in his command, he assigned one of those soldiers to take his place on the plane. And the plane was shot down and everyone on board died. And so this man has lived with that truth ever since, often using the words, it should have been me. And so there is both a mixture of gratitude for his own life and a mixture of horrible sadness, knowing that this other soldier under his command died in his place. But that soldier's death was not in vain. Now, there are multiple ways that we'll never know uh, how that soldier's death was, was not in vain. But one of the ways his death was not in vain is that the man whose place he took, the soldier who lived, ever since that moment, has lived his life so that that soldier's death would not be in vain. In other words, he's tried to live his life to the best of his ability by God's grace for his family, for his community, for his church, for his Lord. He understands every moment to be a gift, every moment of life, and to the extent that he lives his life in faithfulness to Jesus Christ, the man who lives has made sure the man who died did not die in vain. Notice the order of things here. One person's action, in this instance, sacrifice death, is not made real until someone else later on takes it and makes something of it. And the idea is this, when we, like Paul says in Romans 12, present our lives as living sacrifices, when we sacrifice ourselves for each other, for the world, for our neighbor, for Jesus Christ, when we sacrifice ourselves in this life, Paul is saying, one day we'll discover that God has taken whatever it is that we've been able to give and what we've done has not been in vain because God, someone else, has taken it and made it real and made it meaningful and made it alive. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says this, we are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. We don't see it yet. We're just being living sacrifices. God is the one who has to take what we do and make something of it, but we're accomplishing something that will become in due course 
part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every act of service and care for creation and our neighbor, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. What we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. As verse 58 says, it is not in vain. What we do now in the power of the Spirit will in the hands of God be used in the glory of this new creation that is to come. Which then brings us to the first part of verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. In other words, this work that you're called to do, this witness that we're called to give is not easy. It will not go unopposed. There will be obstacles in your path. There will be challenges that you face. You will be tempted to fall away. You will be tempted to look. We will be tempted to look for an easier pass. Paul says, don't do it. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. And the larger witness of the chapter tells us that we can be steadfast, not because we're super disciplined people, even though by the Spirit we can become disciplined. But that's not the, the main reason, the main uh, fuel for our living steadfast and immovable lives. No, it's when we have a picture of the future, when we know that God's purposes ultimately will be done, it's when we know that, that we can by the Spirit be steadfast and immovable. We can abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because in this life, it's hard to see evidence of that day when all will be right because we look all around us and we see so much is wrong. And we look in our own hearts and we see so much wrong there. We see how far we fall short of being the people God has called us to be and doing the things that God has called us to do both as individuals and as a congregation. And when we face these obstacles and we see how messed up this world is and we see the pain and the suffering and so many who do not embrace the love of Jesus Christ, who do not listen to the example, to the announcement that God has given victory through Christ. When we see this, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to give up. But then we remember that one day God will be all in all. One day all will be new according to God's will. His will will be done. God's kingdom will come fully on earth as it is in heaven. And we, in some small way, by our acts of sacrificial service and obedience, are a part of that. When we remember this truth, this vision, then we can be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Then we don't give up on those who are struggling with whatever it is they're struggling with. Instead, we keep loving them and serving them. We don't give up on those who are not interested in the announcement of all that Jesus has done for them. We keep loving and we keep sharing. We don't give up on the intractable problems that we see in our world and in our community. We remain steadfast. We keep working in the power of the Spirit because we know that one day, one day, all will be as God 
desires it to be. And so, sisters and brothers, whatever challenge you face in your personal life, whatever challenges we face in our church, whatever challenges are at work in our community, we know that one day all will be made right. And because of this truth, we imagine it so that we can worship God more faithfully. And we work toward it by the Spirit, being steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. For every person who's struggling to be steadfast because the challenges are so great, the suffering is so so difficult, we pray that you would give them strength, make them immovable, O oh God. For, for Christians in other parts of the world seeking to care for those who suffer in ways beyond what we can imagine, give them a vision of your ultimate victory over suffering and sin and death and make them steadfast and immovable for every person in our community who's giving their lives to serve those caught in addiction or homelessness, to be with those who are lonely, to walk with those, feeling the impact of not knowing you. Make them steadfast and immovable by your spirit that your work can be done. And for all of us, fill us with an awareness that even the tiniest thing we offer to you in your hands is used to build your kingdom. It's not wasted. And one day we'll see how our participation has become part of your kingdom. We give you thanks, O oh God, for all that you have done in Christ, for what you're doing for us now in Christ, for what you will do in Christ on that day when you are all in all invigorate and energize and inspire our worship as we tell the story and as we live it and make us steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your work. For we know that in you, our labor is not in vain. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So we started in 1 Corinthians 15 on Easter Sunday and we sang the greatest of Easter hymns, Christ the Lord is risen today. Well, this year we get to sing this glorious hymn twice. We end the Easter season or we bring it to a conclusion in terms of our sermon series by singing Christ the Lord is risen today. And there's that wonderful quotation of Paul's ending passage there as we sing. As we sing, I'll stand at the front to receive those who would profess faith in Jesus publicly for the first time and come as candidates for baptism and to receive those who, as followers of Christ already, would unite with our congregation. Also invite you to come forward and pray if God has laid that on your hearts. But all of us, as we sing, let us ask the Spirit to make us steadfast and immovable in the work of the Lord. Let's stand together.
forth in the name of the Spirit by whose power we will one day be raised. Go forth in the name of the Spirit who enables us to worship faithfully and to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in God's work. Amen.